Thank you guys so much. What a morning. Happy Easter. Friedrich Retsch has a painting called Checkmate. It hangs in the Louvre. And in this painting, this is a masterpiece. In this painting, you see these two people. And he painted this to show more than just a chess game, obviously. There is so much going on in this image. Uh, the man on the right, you'll see, is, is worried. He is staring at the board while the other guy holds a lot of his pieces. He's distraught. Friedrich Rech drew the, painted the man on the left as the, the enemy of humankind, Satan himself. And this painting is named Checkmate. And the enemy, through circumstance and through whatever else he would use, has this poor person on the right in checkmate. He's out of moves. He's looking at his life, seeing what else he could do, but he has no moves left. While the one across from him watches with that sly, knowing look. Out of moves, out of hope, checkmate. We freeze it right there. You know, Mary, when she found out she was going to be having a baby, she was told by God. She didn't know what to believe. She was a teenage girl. But soon, months later, she began to feel that butterfly feeling in her tummy. There's a baby in there. There's something alive in there. And, and Mary was just like us, I'm sure. You've, what does every mom do when they're pregnant and they get their picture taken? Right? Like, you have to do this. In fact, I'm kind of growing my own baby here. I'm just going to start taking pictures like this, okay? <laughs> but Mary was going through all the feels, all the stuff with this, this life that was growing within her. And the promise that, that the child within her wasn't just her son, but it was the Savior of mankind, the Messiah, who she would name Jesus. So she went through the whole, whole nine months, and then one night in a cave outside of an inn, she gave birth, and his cry pierced that evening as Jesus declared he was here. You know, babies, when they're young, can only see about 12, 12 inches, which is far enough for a baby to see his mother's face when he's nursing. And Mary would just sit there and stare in wonder at the child. You know, my ADD disappeared when I had a son. I never knew I could just stare at one thing for so long, just hours captivated by, by my boy. And Mary was no different. She would just sit there and stare at him. And at one point, those tiny brown Hebrew eyes opened up and saw the face of his mommy. And Mary, she got to experience all these things as at one point, this little baby smiled at her. One point, called her mama. The Bible says over and over that Mary treasured these things in her heart. The promises that God gave her and also the, the things that she was seeing in her son, Jesus. You see, because he was, he was unique, she knew this from the promise, but then she began to recognize that he, he had so much love. He had so much grace. He was so kind. She watched as he grew up, and he had such insight and wisdom in the word of God. He, he, he would ask questions and say things that no one had the answers to, especially her and Joseph. He continued to grow up and decided to be a rabbi, and rabbis would go to school, and they would memorize the entire Torah and the Old Testament and her son dedicated himself to this, and his wisdom and stature rose up even higher and higher, and he became known in their small area. 
he got some disciples and started traveling around declaring a public ministry. And she was proud of her boy. He was, he was, so, he was just such a loving person. And he, she would hear the stories of the things that he's doing, miraculous things. You know, she'd seen him do some things as a child, but to hear the stories from the crowds, it's just mind-blowing. She couldn't believe it other than that she heard from God that he was the Messiah. Well, he started to get in trouble. He's not a troublemaker, but he started to get in trouble with the religious elite who did not like their control and their power being messed with. She began to hear the rumors and whispers that they wanted him out of the temple. It got worse. She heard that they wanted him dead. She feared for her son. She had the promises, but a mom's heart, what does a mom's heart do? Worries. When she heard that he was arrested, it came as quite a shock. The disciples came running back, breathless. <sighs> He's been arrested. They scattered. They took off. They would not be around. And Peter came back later, looking dejected and down, and said, He's, it's not good. It's not good. They've got him, and it's not good. The next time she saw him, she arrived at the main, the main square the next day, and she saw the entire city gathered round. As the Caesar stood on stage and said, what should I do with this man? And people she knew chanted at her son, crucify him, crucify him. She could barely stand it. And when that guard punched her son in the stomach and he doubled over, she doubled over as well. They took him away. She didn't see the torture but it happened. They beat her son till he was unrecognizable, it says. They mocked him. They spit on him. They did things that were horrible. The next time she saw her son was, was on the street as he was carrying his own cross to his own death. You know, 30 years ago, she had, she had known this, this grown man as a young boy. And, and she, she was always with him. And anytime he would fall, anytime he would scrape his knee or cut, Mary would run over to him and, and pick him up and say, I'm here, I'm here. And she would kiss away the pain and she would rub where he's hurt. But not on this day. Not today. Mary could run to her son, but she could not kiss away the pain. She could not make it okay. And she watched in horror as they took her son and they marched him to a hill called the place of the skull, Golgotha, where they nailed him to a tree and raised him up for everyone to witness. Mar Mary was there. Mary was there. She didn't want to be there, but how could she leave her son? The disciples weren't there. The disciples fled. His faithful followers, they weren't at the cross with her. There she was, looking up at her son as he breathed his last. Now she did get to hold him again. She got to hold him as they took his broken body, the little body that she had held, that she had nursed, she held his broken form and then they took him away and they put him in a tomb 
and they rolled a stone in front of it. And Mary stood outside the tomb. Checkmate. Her love, her hope, the promises that she thought were inside that tomb. And on the outside, she fell to her knees, crying. No moves left. Checkmate. We freeze that frame right there. A friend of mine moved here from Virginia with her husband in 2002. They opened a counseling practice in Aspen. They had a whole life ahead of them. They had plans for a family, many dreams ahead for this young couple. One day in March, he decided to go skiing in Snowmass, which he did often. But this day was different because this woman received a phone call from the ski patrol. Your husband has been in a terrible accident. He's being flown to Grand Junction. Meet us there. So she had someone drive her as fast as they could. And she arrived at the hospital and she said she got to the outside of the room. And the other side was, was all of her hope. All her dreams for the future. And she opened the door. And there he was on the bed. Gone. His brain was dead. She had everybody else leave the room. She closed the door. She climbed up into that hospital bed and held him and just wept at the loss of it all. All her hopes for her future, all the hopes that she had right here were in this bed. Checkmate. We freeze that picture there. Out of moves, checkmate. Steve and Jenny got married many years ago. It was a joyous wedding. Look at those two lovebirds looking at each other. It was a wedding, like many, filled with hope and possibility. This was a marriage that was a second chance for both of them as they brought their families and children together. You guys remember your wedding day? I mean, it's a, it's a blur, but, but the wedding day is like the greatest day of, of, the, of the love, right? I'm not going to say it's all downhill from there because it's not. <laughs> that, would be, that would not be true. But that is the day you stand up there and you say, forever. And you meant it, didn't you? with everything in you, when you said, forever. And they don't call it a honeymoon phase for nothing. That wedding day has that shiny, fresh car smell about it. Well, Steve and Jenny were no, no different. They, they stood up there and they promised to love each other until death do us part. And as every relationship goes, they begin having issues and trouble. And they worked through it the best they could. They faced some turbulence. I mean, anytime you live with somebody in close quarters, you're gonna have conflict. They worked through it the best they could, but under the surface, there began to be these disturbing questions. And these questions turned into big disappointments. And soon these disappointments turned into resentment and bitterness. You know, there are times in a relationship, and maybe you've been there, where you remember your wedding day and you find yourself so far from that place and you don't know how you got here and you don't know if you can ever get back to those feelings. And Jenny and Steve were experiencing this very thing. I mean, you can be sleeping right next to your spouse and your heart be a lifetime away from them. They put up walls of woundedness and anger and they had issues that were significant issues and Steve and Jenny didn't know if they could overcome them. And in fact, at one point, they didn't even know if they wanted to overcome these issues anymore. And finally, it was too much. The dream that they had at that wedding that day was dead. 
The hopes they had for a forever marriage faded. They spoke to lawyers. They drew up papers. Steve signed. Jenny signed. They turned it into the judge and they had to have a short waiting period where they just had to wait for it to be finalized and signed. But it was all done. They were done and they were done with each other. Dreams of a happy marriage were dead. Steve stood outside the tomb of the marriage that he had once loved that was in the grave. Jenny stood outside of the tomb of happily ever after. There were no moves left. Checkmate. Cameron Fisher was born here in the area and he was a special kid. His, his mom, Dee Dee, said that he had such a big heart. You know, he was the one when the new kids showed up at school, he would go over and befriend them and make sure they felt welcomed. I mean, look at that smile. Bright eyes and a big, authentic smile. Cameron had nothing but potential ahead for him. Well, that little guy right there got involved in the wrong crowd and it was he was 12 years old when he first tried alcohol and marijuana. By 13, he had a legit problem, but because of his age, he, didn't, he was not equipped to deal with this. By 14, Cameron tried cocaine. His innocence, his bright eyes, and the smile fading. By 15, where most kids are concerned about my, my learner's permit, I'm going to get some freedom, Cameron tried meth. His big smile gone. At 16, his bright eyes were dulled. Cameron was a high school meth addict. His mom and dad, heartbroken, loved him dearly, but even their love could not reach him. He was too far gone. They didn't know what to do. They did everything. Cameron tried to move away and escape, but he said his urges always brought him back to the drugs that kidnapped his youth. He got in trouble with the law and he was on the run and his parents didn't hear from him. He stayed with friends as much as possible but even they got tired of all the drama and he found himself homeless in a metropolitan city and he said he would just walk the streets in a daze not knowing how his life came to this point, not knowing where he was going to sleep, not knowing if he was going to eat, not knowing what to do, not knowing if he wanted to live. He said he didn't want to pull his parents into his world, so he didn't even contact them. And you can imagine, I talked to his mom about this, and can you imagine your son, you know he's out there homeless somewhere, your baby boy, and you don't know if he's safe or hungry or, or alive? Tony and Dee Dee waited for the next phone call. They did not know if it would be from Cameron or the coroner. And during this time, Cameron felt lost without hope he was on the run from the authorities he was homeless he told me no one on the planet wanted me around except the police his only hope was the hope of his next next fix but even when that didn't fill the void whatever hope that cameron had died with him his bright eyes were dimmed his big smile buried his hope was dead Cameron's life was over before he even got to live it. A son lost to his parents. Cameron's future dead and buried. Cameron stood outside the tomb of a life he never got to experience. His mom and dad stood outside of the tomb of a son that was lost to them. 
checkmate. Now, perhaps you've never been in these specific situations, but we all have had our moments of checkmate. We've all had our seasons of being out of moves, of having hope dashed or dead or failing. Maybe you've stood outside the tomb of of your own dead relationship or your dead marriage. Checkmate. Maybe you've stood outside the tomb of a loved one who passed. They weren't supposed to go so soon. Checkmate. You stood outside the tomb of your future hopes and dreams as they died. Checkmate. You, you stood outside the tomb as your hopes died with the doctor's diagnosis. Checkmate. Perhaps you stood outside the tomb of your business. You built it up. You worked so hard. And in that tomb is all your future, all your hopes, all the finances gone. Checkmate. Perhaps like Dee Dee and Tony, you stand outside the tomb of the hopes you had for your child. And they're so lost. And you are more worried than you let on. Checkmate. For some, for some it's something deeper, something more secret. You see, you don't know exactly when the vices got the best of you, but you know this. No matter how many times you say that's the last time, you can't quit. And these things have taken their toll on your soul and you would give anything to just be free. You stand outside the tomb of the man or the woman you wished you could have been. Checkmate. Or maybe you were the victim of something in your past. Somewhere in your past, something was stolen from you. Maybe it was your innocence and the ripple effect from your past has impacted your whole life. You stand outside the tomb of a life that was stolen from you in your childhood. The past has deep claws within you. Your past dictates your present, and your past is setting the course for your future, and you hate that. Checkmate. You know, we've all stood outside of a tomb of dead hopes. Mary and the disciples outside the tomb of Jesus. The young woman outside the tomb of her past husband, Steve and Jenny outside the tomb of their lost love, Didi and Tom outside the tomb of their lost son, Cameron outside the tomb of his lost future. We've all had moments like these. We've all had moments where checkmate, you're out of moves. And maybe you're in one now. Where in your life are you in checkmate? Frederick Rich's painting was just hung in the Louvre. And people came to see it. They wanted to see this masterpiece, so they crowded around the painting. The museum curator was so thrilled to have Checkmate as part of the collection, he he contacted a a famous chess master, internationally renowned, because he wanted him to see this painting of Wretch. The chess master arrived to see the masterpiece. The chess master worked his way around not going straight to the piece. He, he looked at some paintings for just moments and for some he would stand for minutes and take it in. And then finally he got over to where Wretch's painting was and the, the curator um, got the crowd to make way and parted and he brought the chess master in front of the painting. Now obviously the chess master enjoyed the theme because he believed that chess was a metaphor for life himself. And there it was up there, a metaphor for life. Chess, the ultimate game. He saw the young man, his face down, worried, losing everything. 
He recognized that look of resignation. He had, he had seen that before a few times on his own face, but now mainly on the faces of his opponents. And he looked over at the, the evil face of the one who's winning. The curator informed him that that was a representation of Satan, the enemy, stealing the dreams and the future from that unfortunate young man. And the chess master nodded to himself. Hmm. Checkmate is a very fitting title. The curator stood beaming. The curator loved this. You know, the curator loved art, but what he loved more than art was watching people watch art. He loved to see their faces as they took in the pieces. And so he stood staring at the chess master's face, not at checkmate, watching as his eyes went over the painting, as, as dark clouds and conflict, as he would, the, he would see the different things going on. And the curator was loving to see this chess master experience the complexity of this painting. Now the chess master, he stared at it for quite some time. He stood there taking it all in. The crowd around hushed, everybody watching, when suddenly, the chess master's eyebrows went up. <gasps> There's something wrong with this painting. The curator, a little embarrassed. <laughs> oh. Sir, I can assure you this is a masterpiece. Every stroke is exactly where it should be. There is nothing wrong with this painting. The chess master said, no, no, not the, not the paint. Something, something is not right. Something is wrong. The curator's brow furrowed. This was, this was not going the way that he had hoped it would go. And he looked around at the crowd and, and they had also caught the interaction and they were leaning forward. Now everyone watching this chess master Undeterred, the chess master just leaned forward and began scrutinizing the painting, finding what it was. The crowd leaned forward, hoping to get a, a glimpse of what he saw. The curator leaned forward. The air was pregnant with question, what is he seeing? Suddenly, the chess master's eyes lit up. Oh, I see it. The, 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 bo the boy, the board. The curator now, very interested, what is it, sir? What, <laughs> what seems to be the problem? Uh, it's not checkmate. Sir, sir, surely it is. The curator looking forward at the chessboard as if he knew what was going on. The chess master said, no, it's not checkmate. It's not over. The chess master, how can this be? What do you mean? And the chess master blurted out for all to hear, it's his king. The king has one more move. The king has one more move. Mary awoke that Sunday morning exhausted. She didn't know when she'd fallen asleep, but she knew that her pillow was still wet from the tears. Her, her, her chest ached from the sobbing. Her head hurt from the whole ordeal. But more than anything, it was her heart that hurt and was broken. It hurt to move. It hurt to breathe. She was so heartbroken. It just hurt to, to live. She'd watched her baby boy crushed in front of her. She wanted to go to the tomb that morning with Mary Magdalene, but they'd obviously let her sleep in, knowing that she needed it. She stirred. She wanted to go to that tomb, but at the same time, that god-awful tomb was the last place she wanted to be. She didn't want to go back to that place. Downstairs, she heard a commotion pounding on the door and 
feet running throughout the house. She heard shouting below, and maybe it's the Roman soldiers. You know what? Maybe the guards are here to take me. And, and she didn't care. They could take her and do whatever they wanted. It couldn't be worse than what they've already done. Checkmate, Mary. She heard the footfalls come up the stairs, come closer, then a, a knock on the door, and before she could even answer, the door opened, and it was John, the disciple, faithful John, eyes wild, eyes wide. And John, um, what's wrong? Are, John, are they here for us? He could barely talk. No. Ma- Mary, it's, it's Jesus. He's, what is it, John? What have they done to my boy's body? No, Mary, no. It's Jesus. Jesus is alive. Mary could barely hear it. Could she even dare to hope it? John kept going. It's just as he said it would happen. He is risen. Jesus is risen. The king has one more move. That woman lying in the bed with her, son, with her husband who was in the ski accident, he passed away and she gave up on a full life. She gave up on a love. She thought she would never find the future that she had hoped. All her hopes died there in that hospital bed. Checkmate, Amy. But that Amy is now a strong woman of godly character, deep faith and conviction, and she is also my wife. The king had one more Move. The king always has one more move. <laughs> Steve and Jenny signed their divorce papers, and it was on the judge's desk. And the day before he was supposed to stamp them, Jenny found herself at her apartment having an estate sale, selling off the stuff from the life that she had lost. It's a bittersweet thing, selling off um, your life to strangers for cheap prices. These things at one point had meant the world to her, and now they were just reminders of a life she didn't want. People came and bought her furniture and took her furnishings, and it was almost all gone. And it was fitting, because tomorrow it would all be officially over. She was on autopilot. She didn't know what she would do now. Checkmate. But the king had one more move. Steve drove up in a truck and through an awkward conversation, something curious began to happen. The tomb of their marriage began to shake. Hope began to glisten in the periphery of Jenny's vision. And the stone in front of where their marriage was buried began to roll away because the king had one more move. And that judge got a call that day and it said, Stop! Don't sign the papers! Tear them up and throw it away because the king always has one more move. And today they find themselves still married, fighting tooth and nail for all that they have won back. And their marriage is a testament to God's work as he has brought them back from the tomb. They fostered kids, they've adopted, and now they have two more beautiful, wonderful girls. The king always has one more move. Always. The king loves Cameron a lot. The king always has one more move. Cameron ended up in jail, and there in that prison, he decided to make a decision. He made a decision to get to know God more. He skipped the card playing, he skipped the TV, and began to read the Bible. He devoured it in the places that he didn't know what it meant. He went to a Bible study, and Cam began to realize he doesn't know what his, his life holds for him, but he began to see who he wants to hold his life. The king had one more move. Cameron had known addiction for so long. He had been driven by the desire for drugs so intensely for so many years that, that he, didn't, he didn't remember a day without that desire. 
which is why it was so strange to him the first time he realized that he hadn't thought about drugs in 24 hours. Shocked him. He told me, he said, God took away my urge to use. My desire for drugs is gone completely. The king has one more move and Cameron shot out of that jail cell on a mission. Cameron gave his life to Jesus. Cameron was was saved in this room and baptized in this very tub. And listen, Cameron wanted to be a part of repairing people's lives. So he went to his parents and repaired their relationship as best he could came home to them and then he went to his son and then he decided he wanted to go help be a part of other people's stories. People like him. And today, Cameron is a licensed drug counselor pursuing higher degrees so he can keep helping people. In Cameron's life, the king had one more move. The king always has one more move. To those who've watched their finances and businesses fail and crash, in your life, the king has one more move. To those of you who find yourself with no hope or no hope in your future, the king has one more move. To those who've seen your addictions and your vices and decisions rob you of the life that you wanted and you have given up on being free, the king has one more move for you. To those who are in relationships or marriages that that are breaking or are broken and you find yourself a shell of who you wanted to be, the king has one more move. To those who are angry at life, just a smoldering temper that comes out on those that you love the most, the king has one more move. And to those of you who have a past that haunts you, who has hooks in your present, who's robbing you of joy and peace, the king has one more move. The king always has one more move. Always. For those like Steve and Jenny, sometimes the king intervenes. For others like Mary and the disciples of Jesus, the king lets the dream die, but then he resurrects it. And for still others like Cameron and Amy, the dreams die and the king of redemption grows up new dreams in their place. The king always has one more move. What tomb are you standing outside of today? Where do you need fresh hope now? Because 2,000 years ago, hope moved a stone and walked out of the tomb. And because of the resurrection of hope, you can dare to hope again because the king has one more move. No matter how far, no matter how lost, no matter how empty, no matter how broken, the king has one more move. Hope is yours because Jesus Christ lived and died and resurrected and he conquered sin and he conquered death and he calls you to a new life, a different way of living, a life of redemption, of peace, of joy. When our souls are lost and humanity was in checkmate, the king had one more move and his move was the most daring and selfless of all, a move of sacrifice. For the king so loved the world, he gave his only beloved son, that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The king always has one more move. And he invites you to join him. He invites you to step into fresh hope today in those places that you've given up on it. He invites you to step into something new. He wants you to step into freedom, into peace, It's available to you. It's God's offer to you. I want to invite you into this hope with us. I want to invite you to journey with us as the orchard. And listen, let me just tell you a little something. I don't want you to journey with us so that you can become religious and judgmental. 
Is that okay? I don't want you to be a part of the orchard so you can become religious and judgmental. I'm going to tell you something today. Jesus didn't die and resurrect so you could be religious. I don't think you heard me. Um, There was not even one amen, Charlie. Jesus did not live, die, and resurrect so that you could be religious. He lived, he died, and he resurrected so you could have freedom. So you could have hope. The offer of Jesus isn't do's and don'ts and thou shalt not. The author of Jesus is this. Forgiveness and healing in your past. Peace and purpose in your present. And hope in your future. Not just eternal life future, but today and tomorrow. That you don't have to be the same as you are. Jesus doesn't just save you for someday. He redeems all of it. The king always has one more move. We are a church here. and We are imperfect people. We are not perfect we strive to not be judgmental in any way. Our vision is simple. It's love God, love people. All people, no asterisks, no matter connections, affiliations, or orientations. We gather together because we know our God, our King, has moved heaven and earth so we could love him. You have a divine invitation to step into the story of God. And you will find your darkest chapters rewritten into stories of revival and repentance and redemption. I want you to look at the tombs in your life where hope has died. I want you to look at the checkmate you have accepted in your life. And remember the wretched painting. Remember the resurrection miracle. Remember Cameron and and Jenny and Steve and, and Amy. Remember that the king has one more move. Today for you, now, he has one more move. God declares in Jeremiah 29, 11, the king says this, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a what? A what? Hope. Hope and a future. Praise God that the king has one more move. Orchard today, I want to call many of us to just re-engage our faith because we have a God who never stops moving on our behalf, ever. The king always has one more move move. As we, as we finish with communion, we have lots of guests today, and I'm going to remind you of something. This is the symbol of the body and the symbol of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross on Good Friday. And Jesus said this in the Bible. He said, do this in remembrance of me. There is no class that you need to take to partake in this. There's no checklist Do this in remembrance of me. If you would like to come and thank Jesus for his sacrifice, thank him for for moving heaven and earth for us, that he he always has one more move, I would invite you to come get the symbols. And as you sit down, look at this. His broken body, his shed blood, and just say, thank you. Thank you. The price of redemption was high. And then I want you to look at the tombs of your life. I want you to look at where you are in checkmate. And I want you to ask Jesus, the king who always moves, do you have another move for me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you died on our behalf. We thank you most of all that you resurrected and that in love you call us to relationship. I pray in this room you would speak clearly to many of us. You are calling people home. And you are not a God of guilt and shame. And if there is guilt and shame in this room today, that is not you. You give grace and you give love and you give forgiveness. And no matter how bad or how far someone's gone, your love is bigger. 
So we say all grace, or all, all guilt be gone, all shame be gone, only love, only grace. Let us sing and celebrate the King who has one more move. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.